here we are uh, in the life of prayer. My, my hope for this community is after spending time on prayer for, I don't know, another year, is that each one of you will be able to say, because I came regularly, because I listened in, because I studied the Psalms with the community, I'm actually, my prayer life is awoken in a new way. I wanna, I, I'm inviting us as a community to grow in our ability to turn our attention and our love and our needs towards God in our daily lives. Um, now, there's lots of ways to grow in prayer, lots of different kinds of ways. There's, you can go to a prayer retreat, there are many of those you can go and learn. It's kind of an intensive experience. There are books to read on prayer. There are uh, seminars, webinars, and all of those are good things. Um, but my thought here is that if I just hammer prayer at you for a year straight, that's good too. And some of you are like, I got your number, Keith. This is your way of getting us to come back week after week, you know. Um, but it's, it's truly going to be, I'm going to take, I'm taking us slowly through the life of prayer. And we're going to talk about, I mean, I'll give you some examples of the great Christian prayers, the great prayer masters of our tradition. That's coming later on in the spring. I'll, I'll teach you sort of the basic, the rubrics of prayer. Like, you know, oftentimes we take Jesus as Lord's prayer that the Christian community prays and we take it as a kind of an outline, a template for prayer. So the how-tos, the what's, we'll get into all of that. And if you're feeling like, you know what, Keith, I've come four or five weeks and I'm, my prayer life hasn't changed, it's going to take a while. Keep coming. Keep coming week after week. And um, this will unfold slowly but surely. Um, and I hope, too, that you also grow in love for the Psalms. The Psalms are such a beautiful, rich book on prayer. And we'll talk more about this as time goes on. Um, I've talked last week, there are lots of benefits to praying. I mean, he watches over their way, those who turn, his fa turn their face towards him. God sustains us, God delivers us, he protects us, he gives us peace. These are all promises in the Psalms of those who are seeking him. He never forsakes them, he satisfies them, he shelters them, he gives them food. So there's lots of good reasons to pray. And um, sometimes I think, you know, as we get into the prayer life, just at the very beginning here, we, we are asking the question, like, why? Why are we doing this? We've forgotten, perhaps, or no one ever taught us why we're praying. And yeah, the benefits are good. Trust me, <laughs> the benefits are good. Um, but it goes deeper than the benefits. And, once, and, and if we start using God for the benefits, then he sort of shakes things up in our life a little bit and teaches us that's not about the benefits, it's about him. It's about, ultimately, it's about, I mean, the, the, the world surely does change with people whose hearts are transformed in the life of prayer. God, God changes the world through our prayers. We'll get into, into that for sure. But even deeper than that, um, we, get, we get to the level of God's kingdom, the very sort of highest level of our Christian thinking, God's kingdom. And we realize that as we enter into prayer, as I prayed earlier, we're, we're learning what it is to love the one who's loved us well and perfectly actually. And when a person can rest deep in the awareness of God's love for them, they change and their, their, their spheres of influence change because of that. Family and friends, workplaces, and the love of God gets poured out horizontally into the lives of the, those around us. And you, if you imagine one little sphere of influence combining with another little sphere, and as they all get put together, you start getting something like God's kingdom in the bigger picture. 
And so we, we saturate ourselves in the life of prayer and love because we want to um, fall in love with the one who loves us perfectly. We want to know about the one who knows us. We want to be aware of the God that's ever present in our life who oftentimes we forget is there and our question, question is goodness. And so as we do this, as we jump into prayer, I'm going to just jump into the deep end here uh, this week because um, right at the heart of the great story, we find our Lord, we find Jesus hanging on a cross praying. He's on the cross. I don't know if you recognize this. When he, he says many things on the cross like... Um, it is finished, or God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He says many things while he's dying, 2,000 some years ago on the cross, but he's actually praying. These are psalms that he's singing. He's probably actually singing on the cross, singing his worship to God. And I, this has become one of my favorite pictures of the cross because you can interpret this in many ways, but there you have Jesus, and perhaps behind him you have the Father leaning in, giving him sustenance and strength, the Father in heaven. And then you have the eyes above, which could perhaps symbolize the Holy Spirit who's there. Or perhaps this, these are the eyes of creation, which are groaning and darkness coming over the land and the earth quaking and the, the clouds uh, crying uh, at, at the, the worst atrocity in all of human history. Um, very God of the universe, whose own people who should have known him best being killed. So here we have this image of Jesus, and he's praying on the cross. He's, he's, uh, we know that he is um, praying Psalm 22. For those of you who uh, have read the psalm, Psalm 22, he, he, he's praying, and, and we're going to get into this. But one of the things that um, I'm, I'm inviting us to think through as we enter into the life of prayer is that I could teach you the words, I could teach you the rights, uh, formats, I could inspire you to find some time in your life to pray, but there are, there, there are lots of obstacles that we have to get through, and at the very beginning there are two. Life, the life of prayer um, cannot sustain arrogance and cannot sustain entitlement. Now I want, I want to um, be very gentle with these words, because they're sharp words, they're strong words. And some people might think, well, didn't Jesus teach us to come to the God with all of our messy prayers? Didn't he teach us to come knocking over and over and over again? And I was like, I was up early this morning and my six-year-old, she's six or seven? She's seven. Yikes. Okay, so my seven-year-old was up. That's, don't tell her I said that. Um, my seven-year-old was up and she was like, is someone going to make me breakfast? Who's going to make me breakfast? And I'm like cooking my own breakfast. Who's going to make me breakfast? No one's making me breakfast. I want breakfast. Is there any Nutella? I want breakfast. And on she went. And I sort of have learned to drown her out, as you do, because um, I don't know her age. Uh, but here, we, here she was over and over again. And I'm like, um, this is, she was on these, these edges here of arrogance and entitlement. Who is going to make my breakfast? I deserve it. I'm like, you can just get up and get your own breakfast. You know, okay. Um, and doesn't Jesus, doesn't God tell us to come to him like children? Doesn't God tell us to come to him with our knees in poverty over and over again? Isn't that a bit arrogant? 
Shouldn't we stop? To, isn't it a bit entitled to think, who are we, little old me? God is going to answer my prayers or God's going to hear my voice. So I'm, I'm, we've got to be really gentle with these words because we're not talking about persistence and childlikeness, but we are talking about childishness. Those things are different. Childishness and childlikeness. One of them is aware that they're dependent upon their their caregiver is aware that they're going that they can come with their ragged, little bit entitled selves to the to their the caregivers over and over and over again. That's okay. That's lovely, but then it turns. It turns, doesn't it? Um, we can we can begin thinking. You know what? I don't really need to come to the living God. I don't need Him in my life. I don't. I've got this. And we remember last week the story of. Jesus told us a story of uh, two types of people. One was a person who had it all together. They, uh, they knew who they were. They knew that they, 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 they were an esteemed person in the community. They came in front of everyone and stood up and said, I am so thankful, God, that I'm not like everyone else. <laughs> and that's sort of the heart of arrogance, isn't it? I'm grateful that I'm better than you. Um, so arrogance, yeah, we, we, Jesus says, the, the life of prayer which comes with an arrogant heart which says that I've got it together, I don't really need God, but I'm going to come to him when, when I, th- those things crack. But I'm, I don't really need him. Um, that kind of, the, the life of prayer just, it's a non-starter. It stops right there. Because God knows that entitlements and arrogance are characteristics of human beings, which are make us, like it takes away our humanity. Our humanity diminishes and lessens if we walk around with these kind of attitudes. And before he even begins letting us into his heart deeper, he's going to work on those things. He's going to help us realize that um, instead of feeling like someone who's got it all together and has no needs, we, we, we see ourselves as people who are impoverished, people who can't even take a breath without him providing. It's a shift. Now, we know that we don't like arrogance in prayer because when we go to pray with other people, if it's not vulnerable, if it's not full of emotion, if it's like all the right words and God, you are this and you are that and it's going to happen and, and there's no sort of sense of raw, deep emotion which drives us to the Father. We're like, I don't want to pray like that. I don't want to pray like someone who's so sure of themselves that... And that it's, um, yeah, that they don't have, they don't have any, any emotions. They've got it all together. There's no cracks in their walls. And we pray with people and it's like, oh, if that's prayer, I, I don't really need that. But actually prayer's not like that. It's not, it's not um, oh, what's the word I used? It's not sterile. Prayer is not sterile. It's human. It's deeply fallible. It's needy. It's uh, full of great passion. And if we're going to pray at all, friends, that's the kind of prayer we're going to pray. And if you don't have enough confidence or if you don't trust people enough to open that side of you in community, um, community prayer is going to struggle as well. So uh, my invitation is to learn this type of prayer, this needy, emotional, raging kind of prayer that's deeply human. That's not arrogant. That's the opposite of arrogant. It's vulnerable. Learn, learn it on your own first. See if you can open up that way with, with you and God. But bring that openness and that neediness and that emotion to community prayer. And I, I guarantee you beautiful things happen. 
and entitlements. So last week, if you missed the sermon last week, it was all about arrogance and prayer. Uh, it's, all, it's online. You can check it out on the website. But this week, we're going to dive into entitlements. And uh, the reason why I liked to open with showing Jesus on the cross is because it was like he shows us just what it is to be the opposite of entitled. And, and by entitlements, um, this gets tricky again because we can come to God with confidence. We can come to him with deep confidence, and that's not entitlement. But what happens when we know that we've slipped into entitlement is when he's silent, we get a little agitated. When he's not answering the prayers in our times or according to our designs, we get like impatient and a bit like, I, he, I, he, here's my need, you haven't, um, you haven't met it. And Jesus hanging on the cross was the one in all of the universe, probably the most entitled to pray that kind of prayer. Here I am, I've went all the way, but he knows something deeper. He knows something much deeper, and he has a much deeper confidence in God than an entitled praying life. So we enter into Jesus' life of prayer through Psalm 22. Two ways into the heart of God. One of them is patient, and one of them is humble, and the other one is arrogant and entitled. So we come in at the crossroads of Psalm 22. I'll come back to the crossroads here. So here's Psalm 22. Here's how it begins. And you, our ancestors, sorry, this doesn't begin like this. This, this is the third verse. In you, our ancestors trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and they were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. So the story goes like this. Jesus is on the cross and he's hanging there and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we think, uh-oh, did, did, did God forsake Jesus? Did he turn away? And lots of different theology gets built upon this. But we have to recognize, if we're going to understand what's going on, we have to realize that Jesus is singing a psalm, Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's up there singing that. This isn't, this isn't the heavenly father somehow cutting relationship off with his son. This is not what's happening here. Um, this, is, this is Jesus praying a psalm, which is probably the most appropriate psalm. It's a psalm of feeling most like you're at the end of your rope, most like God has been silent in your life. He's not acting. He's not moving. He's not making the difference that you thought he'd make. Here you are, languishing on a cross, suffering, disappointed, dying. And the psalmist praises, is expressing all of this grief because of this awareness of God's absence. But it's also a psalm of confidence. Even despite the fact that I cannot see or feel you, I trust you, and I'm going to go all the way for you. That's the song. That's Psalm 22, and Jesus is praying it. In you our ancestors trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. He's probably saying these words as well. To you they cried and they were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. And one of the very foundations of the whole book of Psalms, if you read it from 1 to 150, you're going to find this theme coming up over and over and over again. I don't see you, God. I don't feel you, but our ancestors trusted in you, and you saved them. 
over and over and over again. And it's this important realization at the crossroads when, when you're at that place where you realize if you keep on going, it's going to require uh, you to go deeper and further into your disappointments and trust that God is in the midst of that darkness. Or you're going to turn sideways and end it all, walk away. It's a crossroads. Jesus was right there. He couldn't walk away. He was pinned there. But he could have, he knew what was happening. He could have walked away, but he went to the cross. Um, and as he's up there singing, and you our ancestors trusted and you delivered them, it's this awareness that we are not the first people who have struggled courageously in the midst of God's silence. We are not the first people who feel face down in the darkness. Um, we're not the first people who have put our whole faith and life on the line publicly and feel like, you know what, I'm vulnerable and I'm feeling like I could get shamed. Like, where's your God now, Jesus? Where's your God now, so-and-so? You've, you've put all of your hopes and dreams on him and where, where's your God now? That's a very vulnerable place to be. Um, but the scriptures, the great stories from old, the ones with, that Jesus loved and cherished, the story of God rescuing the Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, God, the God who comes after hundreds of years of the Israel, Israeli, Israelite people being in slavery and shows up finally out of a whirlwind with pillars and with uh, uh, pillars of fire and cloud and opens the seas. That's the God who our ancestors told us about. And we, Jesus is like, I'm, I'm not the, this isn't the first time that your people, that I've been on the precipice of death because I've trusted in you, pressed up against the death and the darkness. Um, and so one of the things that you know, I think about in, in, in the prayer life is uh, this is, it has to teach us, um, the Psalms have to teach us from this vantage point that we constantly remember that we're not the first people who've trusted God. We're not the first people in our, in our shoes. And in fact, if we remember well, God delivered them, and he will deliver us. This is the thing which sustains Jesus, I believe. In the midst of his suffering, languishing on the cross, everything's fallen apart. It's all, it's, it's all ruined in the face of the Roman Empire. It's all over. But what sustains him to keep going in, singing a psalm of praise as he's dying? It's this deep awareness that God didn't let them down. He won't let me down. It looks a lot different than they expected, and it's going to look a lot different than I expect. Um, but he was, he was staring down the crossroads, wasn't he? Uh, now, as you go on in this psalm, oh, here's the beginning again, the beginning of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? From the words of my groaning, oh God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but find no rest. Imagine Jesus singing these words on the cross. Um, it's like raw, right? Like it's, this, is not, this isn't like put together with nice, oh God, I'm about to bleed out and you're just the greatest. I'm so strong. No, Jesus is giving out his deep emotions. Where are you, God? I'm crying to you by day, by night, but I find no answer. And he, but here's his turn. The next verse, yet you are enthroned on the praises of Israel. See, this isn't a big theological thing about God and Jesus departing ways. This is the, a psalm of Jesus finding the closest intimacy with the Father, even in the darkness. Yet, somehow, 
even though it doesn't make any sense. You are enthroned on the praises of Israel. And again, once more, and you are ancestors trusted, and you th- delivered them. And I love, I love how the, the psalmist goes on. I mean, it's just like the most emotional, complaining psalm in, in, in all of the whole books. Bulls surround me. Now, this is metaphorical, right? Like bulls, like people who are, the, in the original psalmist's context, these are the people who are um, his enemies. And let, let me suggest this at this point. If you are a Christian and are following Christ and you don't have any enemies... It's not, you haven't yet fully done it. You will make enemies if you follow the living God. It's just, Jesus promised this. You will be persecuted, but I will be with you. Bulls surround me. These are enemies. I am poured out like water. My bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax melted in my chest. My mouth is as dry as potsherd. I couldn't figure out how to translate potsherd for you guys. It's like, you know, like a pot because we don't make clay pots anymore that are really just flaky and dried out. It's a dry thing. My mouth is as dry as a potsherd. Dogs encircle me. They divide my clothing among themselves. And this, the, for the first psalmist, this was um, perhaps David uh, crying out to God, being dramatic with metaphor. And the heartbreaking thing is that as Jesus is dying, each one of these things are coming out of the realm of metaphor and into the realm of really happening. And so as he's laying there and remembering this psalm, he's going, you know what? This is now happening to me literally. Um, they divide my clothing among themselves as they actually literally did. Now, the, the life of prayer requires us to be dramatic. It requires us to get our deep emotions and our deep feelings out. And the more you become, you become a master at metaphor, the more that you can complain well in metaphor the richer and more real your prayer life will be. Come to God with all of your worries and complaints and anger and give them the most gut-wrenching words that you can find and shoot them up his way. That's a rich prayer life. So he's a, he, the psalmist is complaining, but the, 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 the most profound point of the psalm, and that's why Jesus chooses it, is because even in the midst of the freelancing complaining comes the turn. Go get your kid. Comes the turn. Somehow preschool 3953 has disabled. Okay, here we go. Um, your, your child is crying for you. You answer their prayers. Um, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. Here's the turn. By night, but I find no rest. Yet, you are enthroned. This is the prayer of abandon, which is to say when you're silent, God, when, you don't, when I can't hear you, when I can't see you or understand your ways, yet I worship you. Still, I praise you. It's, it's probably the most heavy lifting spiritually that a human can do. Take all of their disappointments and sufferings and woundings and hurt and say, and yet still, God, I praise you. And Jesus was saying on the cross, this is how I've taken on. I have that muscle which allows me to praise you in the worst of time when I can't see or I can't feel you. I'm praising you still. Um, Here's the, here's the if, you, if you jump forward about 30 verses, 
The turn happens again. The psalmist prays this, but you, Lord, don't be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to my help. Rescue me from the mouths of the lions. Save me from the horns of wild oxen. Let me just invite you for a moment to think, like, what is your lion's mouth? What is it that you need saving from? What is your uh, wild oxen horn, if I can put it that way? What is the thing that you right now in your life most need salvation and freedom and saving from? Is it in your family life? Is it in your work environment? Are there actual people in your life that are trying to take you down? Is it in here? Do you need saving from yourself? What is it that threatens you? I mean, this is church. This is, we've learned not to think about these things in church, but I'm inviting you in this moment. Open up your thoughts. You, you, you probably could put your finger on it if you were honest with yourself. What is it that you need rescue from? And bring that prayer to God. Rescue me. This is not diminishing your pain in any way. It's actually giving it its due. Yet, I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. I'll come to, come to the community of, of God and I will praise you. I will declare your name. I will still tell other people and perhaps my children about your goodness. And on it goes. In a couple weeks' time, I'm going to be preaching on the prayer life with your children. Just focusing in on what does it look like to develop a praying life with your kids or the, the children of your life if you don't have kids. Um, and, and, and much of it, when you open the Psalms and find the verses about this, much of it is saying, I will pass from generation to generation the stories of old so that when you get to that place where you're at the crossroads in your life, that story will once again nourish you. I don't want to preach that sermon right now. I probably, probably could go there. Um, but yet, here's the turn. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. Praise him. I don't know what that was supposed to be. Praise him. Praise him, all you descendants of Israel. He has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. This is the end of Psalm 22. It finishes off with these great promises. And then it's, these, half, these are most definitely in Jesus' mind as he's going all the way with God. What's sustaining him going forward? These promises. Praise him, all you descendants of Israel. He has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. And Jesus is probably thinking to himself, I'm the afflicted one. This is the, my affliction. God has not scorned those who are afflicted. God has not scorned those who are afflicted. This promise is deep in his heart. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. So, friends, if I can give you anything today as we enter this long journey into prayer, it's this. The prayer life requires us to be able to handle God's silence. God is sometimes very silent and working in ways that we can't comprehend. We don't know his end game fully or how he's going to get there. The real deep prayer life can sustain that silence and know what to do with it, just as Jesus did as he's hanging on the cross. Here's more, more promises. The poor will eat of Psalm 22. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. 
The rich will feast and worship. All who have died will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive. Future generations will be told about the Lord. And that's how the psalm ends. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Beautiful, gut-wrenching honesty at the beginning. And these wonderful promises of a day long, still in our future, where God will make all things right. All who have died will be brought to life in the presence of, of the living God. New creation will be established. And Jesus, knowing that he was about to die, he was not going to make it in the land of the living at that point. His, the, the promise of God's rescuing and faithfulness is so embedded in him. He believes that even though I cannot see this now, God, I know, I know that you are going to come through and rescue me. And he does. So I'll, I'll leave us with this today. Um, here's Jesus. Here's the Father who has not forsaken him, whose forehead is pressed into him, giving him courage and reminding him of, through the scriptures of the times long ago when he's come through. Here's the eye, perhaps the Holy Spirit, encouraging him, watching, overseeing, his final breath. And if we're going to come and join Jesus in the, in the life of rich, psalm, rich, enriched prayer, um, we're going to come to him um, fully aware of how much, how desperately we need him with all of our emotions, with all of our feelings, with everything poured out before him. We're going to learn how to do that. And also we're going to understand that um, when we pray the Lord's prayer, when Jesus' prayer, we're not praying, God, my will be done in my time, in my way. That's entitlement. But we are praying uh, that, he would that he would sustain us profoundly through his silence when things aren't going our way. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap this sort of first... first um, sermon, the first chunk of this series up next week. Uh, you know, we, we know that we don't like it when people are around praying as if they have it all together. And we know that we don't like it when we're around when people are praying but cannot handle God's silence and his myster mysteries. We know we don't like that. And let's put that aside. That's not what the prayer is about. We're not talking about that kind of praying. We're talking about something deeper, more human, and something that brings out our, our brings us back perhaps even to our original humanity makes us more human um, so I'm going to wrap this up next week um, with Psalm 136 to show us just how this if we know that that's not the kind of prayer we want to do just give us a vision of what a rich prayer life actually looks like uh, so come back for that that'll be good and then after that on to three sermons on uh, basic social social praying um, it's different than social drinking Social praying, we pray with one another, right? Um, we, we pray, we should be praying with our friends. We should be praying in our families. And we should be praying with our children and our husbands and wives if, if we have them. Um, and so, um, just I'm going to take a, take a bit of a chunk in the end of October, early November to invite us to pray with the people who are closest with us. And then off we are uh, further on and further in. So friends, um, today... Whatever it is that God has been stirring in you, um, 
Perhaps it's the very thing that you need rescue from. Uh, or maybe he's spoken another word of encouragement or challenge to you today. The perfect way to respond is built here for us every week. Uh, Jesus reminds us to come to the table to remember his body, which is these pieces of bread, and remember the blood he shed for us, which is this juice, and to take it inside of us as a prayer to say, Jesus, your way was to go all the way and to trust in God, and I trust in him too. It's a beautiful act, uh, symbolic, physical act of saying, God, I take you in again. I give myself to you again. Uh, so there's two songs after that set up with some words of praying. And so take this time, it's another 10 minutes, uh, where you get a chance to practice some of this neediness, where you get a chance to practice some of this uh, pressing into God, even when you can't feel him back. I invite you to bring whatever you have to the table here today and make it a prayer and do some praying in your seats with uh, people around you. Um, you don't have to turn and pray with each other. You can pray alone. But if you want to grab someone to, to pray together with, but why not? Um, so whatever it is God has inspired you with this morning, I invite you to bring it forward to him uh, because the table is set here, friends, and everyone here is welcome.